Welcome to Hindsight Healing Circle. I am your host, Dr. Tamara Dixon, a naturopathic physician who focuses on mental health and trauma resilience. For more information, go to my website, naturistalife.com. In the spirit of passing knowledge through storytelling, our circle is made up of people who share with us the story of their hardest times in life and what got them through, so we can learn from their hindsight. While I do conclude each interview with health education tidbits and resources, the podcast is not a substitute for a relationship with a mental health professional and cannot be considered direct medical advice. What my guests and I hope is that these episodes can be supportive and helpful to those with similar struggles and a reassurance that you are not alone. Let's join the circle for episode four and listen to Hector's story. Uh, my name is Hector Rodriguez. I live in LA. I am uh, a DJ and a producer. Yeah, I'm just here to talk about some interesting things. <laughs> Thank you for for joining us and for volunteering to be a part of the of the healing circle. It's going to be very meaningful to the listeners. Yeah. So if you feel, if you feel ready, um, please tell us the story of, uh, you know, something in your life that you've needed to overcome a hard time or a hard period of time, uh, that you'd like folks to know something about. What I decided I did want to speak on the most though, uh, is, is probably related to relationships and love. Uh, being in relationships with other people for whatever reasons they might be, um, and whether those reasons were the right reasons or, or whether I was in that relationship for the right reason. And, and I just thought it would be really cool to share what I've discovered, um, even recently, uh, about my past relationships and myself and, uh, my patterns that I, that I realized when I decided to uh, do some really deep work. I think it starts with my divorce. So, um, I was married for six years to the day. I was asked for a divorce on my six year wedding anniversary. Uh, this was the mother of my only child. And truly, I thought was my life partner. Um, I was very happy. I was very in love. Um, and things were difficult at, at the time, but I didn't think that they were to a point of, of wanting to you know, leave me. And then I realized that that's where we were at. And so there was a lot of, uh, I, I, I think I developed some issues with confidence and I developed some issues with um, trust um, over time. And the other thing I, I I realized is that there was some, in, in hindsight, after multiple relationships that ended similarly, um, there were some things that I was doing that, that had nothing to do with my partners, how my behavior kind of would change in relationships. So, uh, what I will say is that this isn't just one story. It's kind of, it's kind of the culmination of many. Uh, what I discovered was that I was looking for the same thing in different places. Um, and, and there's, 
there's a lot of similarities in the way my behavior changed over time in each relationship. And it goes back to my childhood. Uh, it goes back to my childhood. It goes back to my marriage. Uh, and it goes back to a lot of the trauma that I dealt with in my childhood. The big realization, I think, was that I was looking for love, but a specific kind of love, which I was never really going to successfully get from my romantic partners. I think what I was looking for was kind of like the love of, of my mother. I truly felt like it, the similarities in the people that I would meet and fall in love with uh, and be really attracted to. Uh, there were a lot of similarities to the type of woman my mother was when I was a child. And I found that really interesting. And it, and, and I got really worried about it, too, because it sounds weird. <laughs> Calling like, Dr. Freud. Yeah, like I was like, oh, God, oh, geez. But what it was that I, I, I think my mom was, you know, going through her own things, and she had an addiction problem, and, and she liked to have a good time. And, and I, I was very much like her. And so the women that I was meeting were also like that. Uh, and what I found out was that I think the lack of my mother's love during that, those formative years, during that time when you're supposed to feel safe and you're supposed to feel wanted, you're supposed to feel loved and, um, you know, made to feel like you were important. Uh, those things, I don't think they happened the way <laughs> I, uh, I, I wasn't, sh- I don't think I was shown that in the way that a lot of other kids are shown um, those those types of loving attributes in the relationship uh, because my mother was you know busy and she was working and you know doing her thing. So uh, what I found is that it's possible that as you grow older, you, you still look for those same things and you don't realize why. I think the biggest thing that I, that I figured out was that it's it was me. And the way that my behavior changed when I felt like they didn't love me anymore or they didn't want me anymore or there was a, a, a risk of them leaving me for, for whatever reason. And it sounds, it sounds really weird. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm not like <laughs> I was, I never lacked confidence in terms of like being able to go and talk to people and be around people and be social. I mean, I think the confidence is, is, that I'm speaking of is really confidence in your partner and that they're telling you the truth when they do say they love you and that they care about you, that there's not something specifically that they're supposed to do to prove that to you. Um, and you know, the insecurities that come with that are tremendous. And so as an adult, those manifested into somewhat looking like jealousy. Um, but in truth, jealousy wasn't at the heart of it. It was never that I was, it was never that. It was the, the, it was the fear of losing someone that finally loved me and accepted me. Right. And that fear will drive you to behave differently. It'll make you, it'll make you behave in a different way than what you feel like the person that you really are. I don't know if you're comfortable giving any more information on that, but you you had led with um, 
saying that you were seeking or you felt like you were maybe seeking this sort of love that you experienced with your mom in other people. Well, no, actually. Or the love that you didn't experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's more of that. Yeah. So you want, you want more detail about that subject specifically? Only if you feel comfortable talking about it. (sighs) And it's okay if you're thinking about these things for the first time, obviously. I mean, so for me, for example, uh, my mom was really emotionally volatile. Like you never knew who you were going to get that day because she was an addict and she was an alcoholic. I literally, when I would come home from school, would have no idea what I would find in in there. What and who. <laughs> and so that made me, you know, unbeknownst to myself at the time, uh, I was really comfortable sort of tiptoeing around other people's emotional fragility, like making myself small because their emotional needs like sucked up all the space. And, you know, that was a, that was a concrete thing that started with my mom that I know I, that like perpetuated out in my relationships is that I allowed irregularities in other people's behavior and like inconsistencies in other people's behavior that I would never allow now. Well, with with my mom, she, you know, I knew she loved me, but the, she was, how do I say this? She, she was volatile sometimes. Um, she's just always occupied, it seemed like. You know, like she was just, she's always busy uh, with something that seemed more important. And so, um, in my adult life, some of the women that I dated were occupied like that, where they were just very busy. They were very social and lots of friends, which is a lot of what I saw in my childhood. Right. Um, and so I, 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 I found myself in those same situations. Actually, some of the parties that I, after parties I ended up at felt very much like my mom's after parties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's really interesting how that played out. And so I, I draw, I see the parallel uh, that that you mentioned, right. Where you end up almost in a very similar situation as an adult and uh, you chose it. Yeah. And you don't know you're choosing it. And you don't know your, yeah, you don't know it. So you really take a break and, and do some work and kind of look into why you do the yeah. things you do. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I was living my relationships in fear of not being accepted, of not being loved once the person really got to know me, um, or, you know, just that they're going to find somebody that's better or whatever. And all these things kind of go back to, uh, or at least I, this is how I feel now, is that they go back to that, that feeling of a child who doesn't feel safe and who doesn't feel loved and who who feels like everything is very fragile and can be, you know, torn apart really quickly because that's what happened to me as a child. I moved around a lot. We got evicted. I bounced around from, you know, family member to family member at times, never for a long period of time, but I mean, still, you know, it's, it's still a thing for a kid. You know, you feel like you're not sure where you're supposed to be. So yeah, the biggest I think that that's one of the been one of the biggest realizations is, you know, are you entering relationships with the right set of 
expectations and, and for the right reasons. And, and are you, are you picking that person, um, for, with the right thing in mind and for the right reasons? And that, that has caused me to make some tremendous changes like in my life. Like the first thing being that I, I try to love myself a whole lot more now. Um, because I was readily giving my love and energy and attention to other yeah. folks, but I wasn't giving it to myself. And so that's been one of my, my biggest changes this year is um, love on yourself first. And you know, you got to be good first before you enter any kind of relationship with anyone else. Absolutely. Well, and I wonder too, just going back to uh, replicating a certain kind of love. Like I'm, I'm really interested to know more about what you think the mechanism is behind it, because it could be that the, let's say, insecurity of your of your childhood experiences then lead you to play out this insecurity, you know, in your relationships. Like I wasn't safe then, so I must not be safe now, even when you are. So that's one way that you could have come out of that childhood experience is that you are left with this like hypervigilance, like you're always looking for something to go wrong, even when things are fine. Or it, it oh, could yeah, also yeah. be yeah. <laughs> that, that things are actually not fine. Like you're, you've actually chosen partners because the things with them aren't fine. And it's the not being fine that makes you feel familiar. And so you get to just continue being uncomfortable. Like if discomfort is the only thing you've ever known, then you seek out partners that allow you to play out the same discomfort that you had as a kid. So situation one is like you don't feel secure even when things are fine. And situation two is the reason you don't feel secure is because you've put yourself in a situation where you're not fine. I, I think both apply to me um, in multiple relationships, yeah. And I think sometimes, um, oh, my cat has joined us, by the way, in case you hear her. Sorry, she's, she's just going to be Kitty's got hindsight to share. Um, she is. She's got, she's got additional bullets to add. Um, yeah, no, I, I think both things apply. I think some of those were self-sabotaging relationships um, where I, I, it's almost like you know the outcome before, as you go into it, yet you still go into it this, with this almost unrealistic expectation that, you know, somehow make it work because you believe in love and that's not at all what was you know what was happening and i, I that sounded kind of dramatic and poetic or whatever but um uh i did feel that way sometimes like i knew i was with the wrong person but i was still gonna try to make it work and i can't for the life of me understand that yeah um because i feel like i know better um I feel like now I, I wouldn't want to, you know, if you, if you already know it's, it's really not the thing for you, then why, uh, why allow things to develop into something that might be more painful later? Right. And I think that that's a responsible choice as an adult to make, you know, you get to know somebody and you decide, you know what, maybe this is not good for both of us. Um, and you, and you figure out those reasons why and you deal with it. I think some people don't deal with that in their relationships. They just kind of keep going. Yeah, for sure. And and sometimes not even knowing why. 
And so I think for me that what you just mentioned, that second part, that's an important thing is that even if it seems like the relationship is doomed, it's almost like you're still willing to try to stick it out because that's that uncomfort that you're, yeah. that you're used to. You know, I used to say when I was younger that I had a high tolerance for bullshit. And mm-hmm. that is, I mean, that can be a strength, but it has worked against me, you know, just as often, if not more than yeah. it has yeah. uh, worked for me as a strength because, you know, you can hold space for a lot of things that maybe you shouldn't be okay with. Like you, you learn how to be okay exactly with shit right. that you're absolutely not okay with. And so that's you, exactly right. you just let <laughs> things slide and you're like, well, at least that's not as crazy as this other thing. So, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Comparison of crazy. Is, yeah. Well, this is less yeah, crazy. Yeah. So it's fine. You know, it's not that bad. Yeah. That's a thing. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm just like I'm smiling really big. To, it's, it's nice to, to just hear someone else understand that for what it is. Um, <clears throat> yeah, you tend to compare relationships, and well, this isn't as bad as this other person because it's not. I don't think it's supposed to be like that at all, right? So, um, yeah, I, I find it really important to really know what it is that you're after yourself for you you know like what what do you really want out of out of a relationship and then and then maybe do you really need to be in that relationship so there's all this other stuff that comes up for me now that seems really healthy because i'm i i'm not searching for anything at the moment and it's really amazing because i'm fulfilled with myself um and I think that that's the next step in, at some point, entering another relationship, kind of in a more whole uh, way of being, uh, and hopefully not repeating the same mistakes, right? Because that's really important to me right now. It's not repeating the same patterns. I, I think I realized that I was, I almost, it's almost like I was dating the same person um, over the course of like five years. And, but it wasn't, it was a bunch of different people. But they all had these similarities and the situations kind of ended up, you know, I I started to hear similar things too many times. And I thought, well, maybe I need to really dive into that. Like, what's that about? So, In the interest of someone hearing this message and being able to apply it to their own life and go, oh, maybe that's me. Can you give us some examples of the sorts of things that you were seeing or that you were experiencing that, you know, looking back, you would say, oh, Hector, no, (laughs) but you just, you didn't know at the time or, or maybe you did and you just weren't responding to them the way that you should have. So on some level, there has been a good amount of uh, infidelity in, in my relationships Um, and modern dating lends to that in a really weird way. Um, there are agreements that are made that are then taken back or, you know, people say that, you know, the relationship is defined in a certain way. Um, and, and there's a lot of kind of play in what's acceptable and, and not acceptable. And I think that really that's all 
expectation setting. So what I, the common patterns I found is that I had a different set of expectations for how I thought people kind of should be in relationships. Um, and, and I had to realize that not everybody kind of thinks that way. I, I have a different sense of loyalty, um, about the, this sort of thing. And, and, and I think that that's not how a lot of people operate. Right. And like you said, you have a high tolerance for bullshit. So I, I did too. Right. And I would often stick it out with the person because I cared for them and loved them. When I think in hindsight, it probably would have been better if I, <laughs> if I had just been honest and said, you know, I don't really, I'm not happy like in this relationship. And I don't think you are either. Right. And dealing with that sooner. So a lot of what I saw was, uh, heavy interest in the beginning and then slowly, uh, but you know, both people would, would start to lose interest. Um, I felt like I was, uh, you know, I felt like I was, I would find things that were not necessarily, you know, like people's stories didn't make sense kind of, uh-huh. and I'd kind of like keep it in the back of my mind, like, Oh, okay. Noted, you know, and then it's almost like watching for red flags and knowing they're coming and then you get them and you're like, Oh, there it is. Right. Well, <laughs> you've been watching for that the whole time. So of course you're going to uh-huh. catch a red flag. And it's, it's really interesting how we may, you know, I, I think I've figured out that I probably created half the problems, um, in really in some of the relationships just because the person wasn't doing anything wrong. Yeah. And you know, interpretation of how people feel when they haven't actually told me, um, and, and, and of course, like a big part of it is not just me. Uh, like, I want to be clear in saying that my experience has led to this type of behavior. This wasn't just one day I decided that I was going to be like the flagman, you know, and, and watch for red flags. Um, I, you know, my experiences of being, of feeling hurt from, people being disingenuous or, you know, disingenuous or, or dishonest or, or, you know, catching, catching wind of something else through other people that turned out to be true. Like, um, all these kind of little things play into what you start to become in relationships over time, I think. And what happened is I kind of hardened over time and I just lost faith in people overall. Because I feel like I've been disappointed so many times by people. Um, and that, that goes back to childhood, you know, that goes back to childhood trauma, that goes back to teenage trauma with school and, and, and parent and things like that. So yeah, I, I hope I answered your question. I may have gone about it in a zigzag kind of way. Yeah, you're absolutely <laughs> answering it because it, it's always interesting to to hear what people have to say. I never know what story anybody is going to tell until we start doing this. So I'm often, I'm digesting it and thinking on my feet about what more I want to know and, and what people would be able to get out of it. And it sounds, what makes this so interesting is the, is the duality of it, because I think as we've identified is you are perhaps, uh, you know, seeking 
these relationships with people so that you can feel the same discomfort that you felt before that same sort of insecurity. Um, but then there are also situations where maybe everything was all right. And it's just that you don't know how to be all right. So you keep looking for some sign that somebody's about to do you wrong, even when they're not. But of course, that's very off-putting for them. And if you're still playing out the same script, yep. then you can't get out of it. And it sounds like a series of really, well, I mean, it just, it sounds like a series of difficult relationships. It, it has been, <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah. But um, but one one of the other things that I think is is important to mention, I just thought of it, uh, is trauma bonding, actually, and that can lead to really profound, deep relationships and friendships with people. But it's all rooted in uh, similar negative experiences, yeah. right? And so there's a thing about trauma bonding that almost creates a, almost like a false sense of comfort. Uh, or in the beginning, at least, there's this sense of comfort because you feel like this person really gets you and they really know you and, and you guys can really identify with, with each other's uh, issues or, or, or experiences or whatever. And that has, that, that does have value, you know? Um, but there is something to be said for two people whose main thing that they connect on is, uh, is rooted in negativity. And I thought that that was a, uh, an interesting thing to, to kind of digest yeah. and think about. If you go back and embody, you know, the Hector that was in those relationships, like what was the picture of your mental health? And like, were there any physical effects that you had of being, you know, in that situation oh yeah i definitely had physical issues um so i i tended to, so i also had issues with digestion um uh, my physical health would be affected in the following ways i would i would definitely not eat well um it, it was almost like i was punishing myself sometimes i would throw myself into my work i would sleep less that's for sure. Uh, and I just would focus on um, music because that was my only escape. And, and it was kind of like where I tried to find peace. But, but in, the, in the process of doing that, uh, my physical health was affected because, like, like I said, I wasn't sleeping. Um, I didn't eat as I, the way I should have. And I was putting things into my body that definitely you know the, the frequency and amounts should have been not that much <laughs> so um yeah you tend to kind of it exacerbates all the bad things is what it felt like so you know you end up drinking more you end up smoking more weed and you end up uh, you know doing things extra to try to compensate and I think those, yeah, that's physically, that's what, how I think I was affected most. And then I had like, you know, there was always, I'm, I'm ex-military and, you know, I've got some stuff going on with me physically, but it's never been anything too, too bad. 
good. I, I always felt like during these times there were physical ailments that would pop up or like a shoulder would be messed up or, you know, like my ankle or something. It was really, it was really weird. And these are legitimate things, but I find when I'm just kind of chilling and happy, they don't pop up as often. Yeah. <laughs> well, and who knows, it could be, you know, it could be part of that emotional distress or it could be secondary to all of the other physical things because if you're not sleeping you know your joints are going to hurt more if you're drinking more like the way the the whole way that you're treating your body then lends itself to there being all these side effects um but then we also definitely i think have you know it's called i think it's called somatization where you just have physical symptoms that relate to an emotional cause and that's very real yeah i i felt like they were yeah, I, I, I didn't feel healthy most, you know, or if I did, it was short-lived or, you know, it just kind of, you know, that was always kind of the first thing to go is is the, the sense of I need to take care of myself and my body and my mind. So, yeah, my physical and mental health were definitely affected in this, during these times, yeah. like in a major way. And did you n- know at the time that that, that those things were related were you conscious of it or was it just all autopilot i think it's i think it's on autopilot um at some point i felt like i did make the realization that maybe i'm just not happy and that's what's causing you know a bunch of the other issues but again that yeah it was almost like well i'd rather be here than i don't want to say alone because i've never been afraid of being alone like I'm okay alone, um, but I think it was more like I'd rather be loved than not loved, in whatever capacity that is, and that's absolutely not, I don't think, a, a healthy perspective. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, your definition of what love looks like at that time is probably different than what it looks like now. Absolutely. Yeah, I've learned a lot. So you've gotten into this a little bit, um, but. If you, you know, you go back and see yourself at this moment in the past, you know, in whatever situation, like a gridlock situation with your ex-wife or any of your other partners, what do you wish you had known? What would you go back and tell him? Oh, I would tell him to take all that love and give it to yourself. Seriously. Take yourself on a date. Go to the movies. (laughs) Do your toenails. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, like, I don't know. Self-care and self-love is is really important. And still, I'm I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, this is something that I'm newly incorporating and making more important in my life. When I say new, that's not actually true. It's it's been a few years, but slowly those efforts have become uh, more important to me over time. Um, and so I would tell him, you know, stop looking for what you really can give to yourself. Like, just turn it around on you. Like, it's okay that you went through those things that you went through and that you made those choices that you made. Um, and nobody's going to love you more than you, man. <laughs> That's what I would tell yeah. myself. Yeah. I think maybe the last thing is that you're you're not going to find what you're looking for outside of yourself. That's an interesting one. 
Yeah, you're not going to find it or you're, yeah, you're not going to know how to recognize it, even if you did. Yeah, something to that effect. You won't even be able to receive it. And also, what are you really looking for? <laughs> we look into that, right? Um, because how can you find something if you're not sure yeah. what it is? So these are all important things, I think, to consider for a younger actor. Um, and are you doing that for the right reasons? I would ask myself to always know my why in, in everything I do. Like what, you know, unless it's just for fun, you know, or unless it's, um, I just want to have this experience yeah. just because, you know, but for the other, for some of the other stuff, yeah, knowing why, like why this person or why that job and, and not settling in, or not just taking what comes your way. Those are the things I would implore a younger Hector to look <laughs> into. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that younger Hector would have understood what you meant? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think some of the experiences still would have been necessary then. And that's the thing, you know, you can't, I, you can't really say like, if I go back and do it over, like, no, I, because uh, uh, everything that happened has culminated in me being here. And I like where I am and who I am today. So all those experiences were necessary to bring me to where I am. but. I think there was a lot of reputation that may not have been as necessary, <laughs> you know, in some of the situations. Like maybe just three of those and not seven, right? Like Yeah. Well, they say that we just you know, you you go to the same lesson until you actually get it. Yes. I keep hearing this and I believe it. Like I really do. Um uh, you do, I feel like you do have to show proof that you learned it by not making the same or similar choices. I think that's yeah. really important. I think taking a break is important. What I, what I mean by that is just truly being alone, not pining for anyone or not. I mean, we always miss, you know, we always miss people, right? We got people we love and we miss them, but truly not being distracted by relationships and, and romantic things lends to clarity to do the work. Yeah. Was there a light bulb that went off over your head one day where you're just like, oh, this is what I've been doing? Or was it like a lot of slow realizations that you finally added up? It was just like that. It's like, oh, that's the problem. And it's actually really interesting because we talked about this, I think, earlier where we said, you know, deep meditation and, and meditating, how it facilitates certain things. Um, what I found is that I, I don't necessarily meditate in the traditional way, but I do sort through feelings and, and emotions in a very specific way. And it often involves just sitting there in silence. Where, you know, under the guise of something else, like I'm, I might be, oh, I'm going to go take a 15 minute break and sit outside in the sun, cross my leg. I'm just sitting there and then I'll get these answers uh, to things that I'm pondering. And that's kind of how, that's kind of how I came across this. It's like, oh, this is what I'm doing. Or this plays a part into what I'm doing, I should say. I don't think I have everything figured out. <laughs> But the that's cool. It's cool that you just had a switch that flipped. Yeah, yeah. I 
like I kind of like really enjoy getting to the root of whatever the thing is and finally figuring out like, oh, this is a learned behavior. Like I can change that. Oh shit. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to do this different now. And then you just do it different. Yeah. And like, that's kind of my new ethos, I guess, if that's what you want to call it or motto or whatever. It's just like, well, if you don't like it, change it. You can change it right now. Yeah. It's an important thing to realize. And we did talk about that before, you know, the realization that, uh, that you're in charge and you have to find the internal motivation to make the changes yourself. You know, even if you had guardian angel Hector, you know, come down and say, this is what you need to do. Uh, you still need to have yeah. the the fortitude and like the inner motivation to do that. And um, that can be a really hard one for some people, you know, realizing that you're actually in charge of your life and that you're not just like a leaf blowing in the wind. Um, I think it's probably a light bulb yeah, for all of us. It just yeah. goes off at different times. I think it's the difference between living a reactive uh, life and a purposeful life. I, I really do. I, like really having an understanding of yourself and, and uh, living with purpose uh, instead of reacting to the things that are coming your way. And even in, re- in relationships, we can be reactive, right? Like we can be somewhere and be approached by someone and they may not be necessarily what we might have been looking for. But, you know, you kind of just like, oh, okay, this is cool, right? Instead of being reactive, I, I kind of want to live with a little bit more passion and intention. <laughs> yeah, intention, I think, is the is maybe one of the themes that kind of moves throughout. Because I see in relationships, that's a difficult one to parse out. You may want to be re- receptive to things that you maybe weren't looking for or that you didn't plan. Um, but also right. not letting that take you. you so far off course and letting that um, distract you from the things that you actually wanted, not just taking it because it's there. I mean, we're human beings. We're going to get distracted. Um, but checking back in with your intention and checking back in with, you know, like you said, the why, why am I actually doing this? And like, maybe what am I getting out of it? Uh, can perhaps stop us from losing too much time on the distraction. Mm-hmm. And being honest with yourself too. It's like, I mean, that can be a hard one. What do you mean by being honest with yourself in that sense? Um, I think sometimes we have a tendency to, to know what is going on, but almost just not accept it or not, or not believe it or choose, you know, to turn a blind eye towards what may be staring you mm-hmm. in the face. Um, and I think we're not being honest with ourselves when we do that. Yeah. I hear that. Yeah. You're just pretending, yeah. pretending it's cool. Yeah. You, yeah. You just, oh yeah, no, this is okay. When, when in fact it's not okay. And a couple of those, and then it blows up into something else. And so repressing feelings, you know, or not speaking up when you, when a boundary of yours has been crossed that you may or may not yeah. have communicated, right? Boundaries come up a lot in these or conversations. Sorry, go ahead. 
boundaries are, are really interesting because we all have them, but we all break them. <laughs> you know, like in relationships, especially we try to set boundaries and then we realize, oh, that doesn't work for this relationship. And then now what do you do? And that's a hard crossroad to be at as a person who, who values being loved because they haven't, they felt like they haven't been loved in their life. That's a really, that is an interesting intersection, right? Is, do I move the bound? Like, is it okay for me to move this boundary? Am I expected to move it? And like, do I love myself any less as a result of having moved it? That idea, the idea of a boundary being self-love is something that I really, I enjoy looking at it that way because sometimes they say, you know, you can look at boundaries as being for the other person. You know, like this is the behavior that you are sort of allowed to do in my space. This is what this is what I will accept yeah. from you. But really, I I think the boundary right. is for you. It's for your own, you know, safety and comfort and and sanity. It's not really about the other person as much as it is about you. And somebody I read somewhere that like my boundary is you know, the balance between how much I can love you and how much I can love myself. And that's like, right. Yeah. And when you don't, yeah, 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 that's a big one, I think. Um, and when you don't, you know, when you don't value the love for yourself, your boundaries tend to, you know, be very flimsy or just not, you know, you don't enforce them <laughs> yourself. Yeah. Or their thoughts or wishes, and then you develop resentment because those boundaries have repeatedly been crossed when you haven't enforced them. Yeah. Again, these are all kinds of things that I never would have been able to put into words, you know, if I had tried, you know, let's say five years ago. And I think I was just really kind of starting to get it and unpack it about three years ago. You know, the idea that that the resentment that I felt on the inside was because I never actually held the boundary. That is so yeah. confusing because don't you want to just throw that resentment at the other person? Like, don't you just feel that it's their fault? It's very tricky. Yeah. And it feels justified. Really, it does. But if you, if you set the precedence that they could do that thing, then, I mean, is it not on you? Yeah. To some degree. Yeah. You can't expect that people are going to do the same thing that you do just because to you, that's the right thing to do. Yeah. Uncommunicated expectation is like a, a setup of disaster. Yes. Yes, it is. And it is no one's fault but your own. And that's a hard, I, I found that pill to be very hard to swallow. And yet one of, it's a very valuable lesson because once you, once you get it, you don't forget it. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, this is my job. Because yeah. people, yeah, obviously people that are not mind readers. And if you've given them every indication that their behavior is okay, they're going to keep doing it. Because why wouldn't they? They're just, they're just doing them. <laughs> right. You know, and that thing happens to trigger the crap out of you. And you haven't, you know, you, you're trying to be cool though, right? You're trying to be cool. So no, it's fine. And you're just fuming inside. <laughs> I think that's the theme, you know, like of this whole thing. Ah, it's fine. <laughs> um, that that it's fine mentality, I think, can destroy you. 
It's not really fun. No. And, you know, four or five times of that, and now you've got some real resentment. Uh, and these things kind of tend to take a shape of their own, right? Like they grow throughout the course of a relationship. These little things grow <clears throat> until they become this huge other thing that, yeah. that cannot be ignored. They become the elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. And they started really small and, you know, they snowballed. And so then how do you prevent that? <laughs> yeah. You know, we prevent that by like just taking a beat, you know, to, to check back in with yourself and to be honest about how you really feel. Yeah. And uh, when you're recovering from a long history of, ah, it's okay. Then checking in with how you really feel is a challenge. It sounds very simple. There's a, there's are simple words and simple ideas, but if you have no practice at actually naming your emotions and allowing yourself to feel them and like letting them be okay. God, it took me a long time to just learn that my feelings were like, okay, let alone do anything about them. That's, that's heavy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not that my mom, you know, was, was necessarily like that all the time, but I, I do know the feeling of, oh yeah, that's not, now's not a good time for that. Mm -hmm. I'm not dealing with that right now. Mm -hmm. There's a thing that a, my friend of mine told me about, which I also really like. Because again, we're adults in the world. We have responsibilities now. And let's face it, you know, sometimes there isn't space for your emotions. You know, we can't bust out crying in the business meeting because we're not getting what we want. That's a reality. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but yeah, you can, you know, what she says is I make an appointment with myself. Like if I can't acknowledge what is going on in the moment, I make an appointment with myself so that I can go back to it later. Ooh, that's great. That's, that's really good advice. I do find myself going back and being like, okay, so let me get this right. And just kind of going over uh, whatever the events yeah. of the day were. Do you give yourself some processing time on a regular basis or is that tied to difficult times? No, that's regularly now. I try to learn from things that are uncomfortable. Or, or, or things that are difficult. And, and, I, and I try to take time to think through, like, oh, okay, this happened because of this. And next time, this will be the right course of action. Yeah, I still got to deal with things from the past. But, you know, when they come up, it's a bit different now. Like, it's not, um, there's not an anxiety and there's not, it's just kind of like, oh, okay, that's, that's me. Like, that's a part of me, right? And I just kind of accept it. Um, and accepting yourself is really important, especially if you're trying to work on yourself, like maybe just even just acknowledging and accepting what's there before you yeah. take the next step. Accepting what's there is, is a big one. Just seeing it for what it is and being okay with it. So I want to know if there are any books or resources or people that have influenced you to be able to think in this particular way. Um, yeah. So, so. Um, yeah, I did go to Landmark, and it and it it did change me um, in a good way. Meaning, there's a there's a sense of accountability that I own, um, and that I feel like is important in my life for for certain things, right? And um, uh, what I do want to say though is that 
it's not just, it wasn't just that. The biggest thing that has helped me was reading that I should, I should kind of talk to myself as if I was talking to a friend, right? And when I started hearing my net, my self-talk, I realized that I would never talk to any of my friends that way. Yeah. I don't know. I, I forget where I got that from. I'm sorry. I can't cite the source, but that's, that was a big one. And I just wanted to share that. But yeah, I did, I did go to Landmark. Landmark is, it can be beneficial. Um, it can be really beneficial for people. Uh, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. That's a big one. And then, you know, I, I've read a lot of Abraham Hicks. Yeah. I feel like, there's a combination of different things that works well for me, not just one thing. Um, and so I find it really hard to go in one direction and stay in that one direction because I often find new information that changes my beliefs. I, I don't, I don't feel the same way as I did about landmark uh, for multiple reasons. I feel like it in itself the landmark part of it can now become a distraction from your original goal of improving. Interesting. I, yep. Okay. Right. And so if your goal is to improve, find those, you know, find that wherever you can. And the more places you find it, the more, you know, the more varied it's going to be and, and the more insightful. And Maybe you'll learn different things, but, if you keep going back to the same watering holes, you know, it's kind of like you'll keep growing, but it, I think it does get stifled. Yeah, it, lim it limits your growth. Yep. Ooh. Because now you may not be open, right, to other things. Or now you may be making judgments on, on people and perspectives where there is no, there, there shouldn't be a judgment made there. It's just information. Yeah. I use, you know, some of it in my daily life and some of it I, I don't touch at all. And that's okay. Right. And I wouldn't tell anybody to not go or go. You bring up a really good point, which is just that your tools for healing should be diverse. You know, like it works for you <laughs> to do this one particular thing, and then maybe it's time to get on to the next. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think the more tools you have, the, the more equipped you are to handle life. Um, and those tools come in many different forms. And I, and I think that that, is important to recognize. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to to talk to me and to talk to the folks about the things that you've, you know, learned from your experience. It's very valuable. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. I, thanks for having me. You're most welcome. And I hope that what I've shared is helpful for other people. After speaking with Hector, I thought we'd talk a little bit about attachment styles. The theory of attachment styles was originally developed by a psychoanalyst named John Bowlby, and then was later expanded upon by a psychologist named Mary Ainsworth. Attachment refers to the bond that we form with a primary caregiver, usually a parent, and that affects the way that we develop, find, and keep relationships throughout our adulthood. In general, attachment styles can be defined or categorized as secure or insecure. There are several different kinds of insecure attachments. Firstly, let's talk about secure attachment. Those that are securely attached are capable of having emotions appropriately, constructively, they're capable of sending and receiving healthy expressions of intimacy, and they can usually draw healthy and appropriate boundaries when required. 
People that are securely attached feel fine being alone as well as in a relationship. It is thought that people with a secure attachment style had all of their needs met by their primary caregiver in childhood. Then we have a host of insecure styles. First, we'll talk about dismissive or avoidant. It is thought that people develop dismissive or avoidant attachment styles when they had some needs met in childhood, but others were neglected or dismissed. This results in people forming relationships where they are really self-directed and self-sufficient. They consider themselves to be independent, behaviorally, and emotionally. Ultimately, dismissive or avoidant style people tend to avoid true intimacy because it makes them too vulnerable. They feel a strong desire to be emotionally and physically free. They often maintain other priorities in life more than their romantic relationship, like their work or their social life. Dismissive or avoidant attachment folks tend to push people away who get too close. Next, we have an anxious attachment style. It is thought that anxious types receive some of the love and care that they needed in childhood, but with an unpredictable sufficiency and amount. This leads to people that are inclined to feel a little bit more nervous and less secure about their relationships in general. People that are anxiously attached may require more constant stroking of their love and validation in order to feel secure and accepted, and they don't tend to respond very positively if they're not given this regular positive reinforcement. The stress and insecurity that they feel in relationships can manifest itself in a number of possible ways, but it tends to look like neediness, possessiveness, jealousy, control, or mood swings. There's also known to be an attachment style called anxious avoidant, which is a mix of the two that I just spoke of. Anxious avoidant attachment styles are thought to have arisen from a person experiencing traumatic behaviors from their caregiver. It is thought that this comes from a mix of the caregiver both being aggressively present and then also absent. So it results in a person that has a mixture of both anxious and avoidant attachment styles. Lastly, we have the disorganized attachment style. And this is thought to have arisen from a person that experienced abusive or terribly negligent upbringings. Those that develop a disorganized style crave attention, but out of fear of losing it, they can retaliate or act erratically and create conflict within their relationships. They can be suspicious of others' intentions, their words, and their actions, and they fear any physically or emotionally loving intimate relationship. Now, it's important to remember that these are all kind of generalizations, but your relationship history might give you an indication as to whether you have a secure or insecure attachment style. There are tons of free attachment style quizzes available online if you'd like to discover more about yourself in that regard. It's really important to remember that attachment styles can change over time and that often working on yourself or working with a therapist can help unravel the roots of your attachment style and assist in that change. This is your host, Dr. Tamara Dixon. Thank you for listening and for joining us in the Hindsight Healing Circle.